Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bully. Our gospel reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Jesus does most of the speaking here. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. The oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One went to its field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out onto the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man, a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without, wear, without wedding clothes, friend? And the man was speechless. Then the king told his attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Well, this is part four of the multi-part series on how to love one another. We've long recognized that Jesus told us to love one another, but it's apparent in the world around us that we need some ideas about what this means and how to truly love others. And these sermons give practical advice on how to love others. The first week, we discussed the use of prayer as a way to love one another. The more we pray for people, the more we love them. The second week, we spoke of the need for our very presence to go forth and be with people, for our very presence is the beginning of friendship, and thus, of love for another. Last week, we spoke of the ability to love one another through our gifts for individuals and for the church. For when we give to the church, we're giving to all who receive benefits from the church. People sitting in the pews, warm and comfortable. People outside the church who have received an understanding of God's love through the actions of the church. And people who are far off, who have heard the message of salvation through the ministries of the church. And so today I plan to speak of loving one another through the fourth of our membership vows, learning to love one another through our service, our volunteer service, which as we realize is a major part 
of becoming unselfish, turning away from our intense love of ourselves to being able to love one another. In our gospel reading this week, a king, who represents God in this story, is preparing a wedding banquet for his son. And so he sends his servants out into the town and the countryside to all who have been invited in the past, all those friends of the king, to tell them that the banquet is ready and that they should come to enjoy the banquet and that they would meet the king's son and the king. Now today, we don't really realize what a gift this is for those people, for our food costs despite our recent inflation, is, are still just about the lowest as a portion of our income of any society, anywhere, and any time on earth. We spend less money in proportion to our income than anyone ever has anywhere for food. We can buy three balanced TV dinners for less than $10, which is about an hour's wage. And so we could live even cheaper than that if we stuck to rice and flour and a bare minimum of meat and vegetables. We can eat very cheaply, eat living for a day on just an hour's worth of work. But in ancient times, for most people, their days were spent working for their food, long days from dawn to dusk, working the land with wooden tools, not even metal plows or hoes or rakes or shovels, wooden tools that broke and wore out quickly and could not stay sharp. There were no Midwest wheat farms to harvest grain with combine harvesters by the truckful. Instead, the wheat was cut by hand sickle and by the scythe and then it was manually tossed into the air to separate the wheat from the chaff. Transport of food was very expensive also. You couldn't bring in food from a distance. There were no barges that carried a thousand tons of grain or even semi-trucks traveling at 60 miles an hour with 40 tons of food. Transport in those days was by donkey cart. You might get a single ton on that donkey cart. So you grew what you ate and you ate what you grew. And to grow that food meant many 12-hour days in the fields. So when the king invited a bunch of people to his banquet, free food, free wine, meet the king's son, it was a great offer of service to the people. But this day the people refused to come. The king's banquet wasn't worth their time. Why? There'd be great food, great wine. Remember, this was a time when wine was appreciated for the calories it gave starving people almost as much for the alcoholic effects. But there was no hint that the people considered the king to be an evil king, yet they didn't think it was worth their time to come to the banquet. Instead, they had other things to do. One guy, he went to his field and worked a while there, and another guy went to his business. And the rest took the king's servants, and they mistreated them, and they killed them. They couldn't be bothered with listening to, to their king. It wasn't worth it to meet the king's son. Now, folks, I've been to a, quite a few wedding banquets, and I know that some of them can be pretty dull and boring. But I also know that some of them are a lot more lively affairs, and almost all of them have good food and a fun atmosphere, and I always meet new people. So why didn't the people want to come to the king's banquet? It's probably because they didn't see any personal benefit 
to come. Yes, there was good food and drink, but at least some of them, the man who went to his field and the man who went to his business, they figured they had enough food and they wanted to increase their personal wealth through their work. They had no loyalty. They had no friendship, no love for the king, and no curiosity about his son. The rest of the people, the ones who mistreated the servants and killed the servants, it seems that they really didn't want anything to do with the king or his son. Once again, there was no loyalty and no friendship and no love for the king. In fact, those folks seemed to positively hate their king. Or worse yet, they considered him unworthy of any respect or love. But they had forgotten that kings and governments give the people protection. They'd forgotten that the kings control the army. They'd forgotten why they needed a king in the first place. It was to keep other people from taking and burning and destroying everything they had, their homes, all their goods, and their lives. As our Isaiah reading points out, God will swallow up death forever. And so the people had forgotten that being friends with the son of a king gives added protection being friends with God and God's Son gives us the ability to defeat death in the end because he has defeated death. So the king, who remember represents God, was enraged. He sent his army to destroy the murderers and burn their city, and the next day there was just a smoking ruin with some flames still burning and death all around, dead bodies everywhere. The king who had given the people life and protection and prosperity, he had reminded the survivors and, his, and the neighboring towns that he'd still respect, he expected respect. When Jesus told the story, it was understood by the listeners that the people who would not come were the wealthy and prosperous people of Israel who were too busy to listen to God the king and come to celebrate the marriage of God's Son, who was Jesus. Don't we still have many people today who are too busy to join in a celebration of Jesus, too busy to attend church today? But the story goes on. Given that the king still had all this wonderful food and drink prepared, even the decorations were still there, this story did not end with the destruction of the town. He had his remaining servants go to find other people, the homeless, the poor, the disabled, the humble, the guy who was just stumbling around on the street. Anyone who could be found, the bad people as well as the good people, Jesus makes a point of saying, and they were all invited to the banquet. And so the wedding hall was filled with guests. And so it is with many successful churches who have filled their halls with people who are not too prosperous to be too busy. People who struggle every day and so have turned to God the King in gratitude. People who are considered not to be the best of people, but they're invited. The servants of God the King have gone into the fields and street corners, invited everyone they see to come to the banquet, to enjoy the food and drink of the King, and meet the Son who is Jesus Christ. And so the banquet halls where these servants serve the communion tables of these churches are full of people who celebrate God's Son. But you know, there is a third act to this story. 
The king arrives at the banquet to see the guests, and there's a man there who is not properly dressed. He's not wearing wedding clothes, the special robes people would wear to a wedding to show respect for the king. The man does not answer when he's challenged about this by the king, and so the king has him bound and tied and thrown into the outer darkness, kicked out of the banquet. Now, in ancient Palestine, there were two key things to remember about the night of a wedding banquet. First of all, in the dry air of Palestine, there are no clouds to reflect far-off lights. It was at a time before electric lights, and nights were very, very dark. There's no glow in the sky of the reflected street lamps because there weren't any street lamps. The lights were of the moon and the stars and maybe an oil lamp or a lantern, but those were very expensive to operate. Candles were even rarer, for they had to be made from beeswax, not paraffin. And so those nights were dark. You see, everyone in town, they brought what lamps they had to the wedding hall to light the celebration. That was the second thing you had to remember. All the lights in town, all the lamps were being brought into the wedding hall to light up the wedding hall. And so if you were tossed into the outer darkness, you were tossed into the deep, dark night of midnight, Without a flashlight or a lamp, that's a place where evil creatures and evil men roamed. And if we're tossed out of the wedding feast of Jesus, we'll be totally alone, in the dark, away from God and Christ and anything good, surrounded by those things that go bump in the night. This is not a story about how to dress in church. It's a story about simply respecting the king. You'll recall that good people and bad people were both invited to the wedding feast. The good people, they were already grateful and they dressed properly, and even the bad people mostly were grateful and found something to wear. But this one guy, this one guy didn't bother, for he didn't respect the king or his son, despite all that had been done for him. A man who was probably, he'd probably been starving earlier that day. And after all, there are people who have received the word of salvation, but they still do not respect God or Jesus. And Jesus finished the parable with the line, for many are invited, but few are chosen. Unlike what some churches would have you believe, there is a cost to salvation. It isn't just coming to a party with free food and drink. No, there's a need to respect God and Jesus enough to learn about what's required of us. What are the wedding clothes? For God does require us to recognize that Jesus has been given the power of eternal life and death over us, and that's worthy of some degree of respect. There are many people who are invited to meet Jesus, but they don't come because they consider it a waste of time. We see these people all around us in the world today, and according to, his, to the story that Jesus told, God is angry that these people will not come and meet his son. And so God has thrown open the gates to salvation far beyond his first list of people, which was the nation of Israel. Now everyone is invited, the good and the bad. And so the next test is simply, when you get to the banquet, will you show respect to God and his son Jesus by learning about them? by studying, by attempting to learn what they ask of those who have come to the banquet. If you're here today, you're at the banquet. Are you learning? Are you showing the respect? 
Jesus did give a handful of commands to those who would follow him and be invited to the banquet, and it's important to show respect that the Lord of the universe deserves. A key part of what Jesus asks of us is to love one another, and that involves action. It's not just a state of mind. As Paul wrote in his letter to the Philistines, I mean to the Philippians, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And so in the story, we see the servants of the king going out to do the king's will. Serving God like serving any king is not an easy job, but the servants did their job, partly from duty, partly from their need to make a living, but also partly because they loved and respected the king. Now in the story, some of the servants were mistreated and some were killed, but many others were successful in bringing in people to the banquet, especially those servants who listened to what the king said and invited everyone to the banquet. For they gave true service to the king, and serving the king meant serving many people by inviting them to the banquet. Now I'm sure that some of those servants, as they went out, they said to one another, that guy standing there, uh, should we invite him? He doesn't look worthy of coming to the king's banquet. And his fellow servants said, everybody that was on that first list was considered worthy, but they weren't. The king said to invite everyone, the bad as well as the good. And you know, God the king can and will deal with the worst cases himself, like the guy who didn't wear the wedding outfit. But most of the people at the banquet, despite what they were before, they cleaned up pretty good once they had a chance to dine with the king and the king's son. Without a doubt, many of the people at the banquet became respectable citizens who were regularly invited to banquets at the palace. Undoubtedly, many became friends with the servants of the king, and maybe even the king and his son himself, because the servants that had invited them had not only served the king, but they also served those who arrived at the banquet. Just being accepted and served at the banquet, invited to the feast of the king by the king's servants, by God's servants, that's enough to change people. For the servants of the king showed God's love by serving all the guests at the banquet. And so when they went to the banquet, they were changed people just then. And when they began to talk with the king, they got changed much deeper. And so we learn to love one another when we serve one another. Not only that, we learn to love God and Jesus even more when we take time to serve other people whom God and Jesus have invited to the salvation banquet because as we learned last week, our very presence around people generates a, spot, a response in the Holy Spirit and that's our first step toward friendship and love for another. And when we spend our time serving people, we're sharing our time, sharing our presence and doing God's will. By acting as a servant, we develop a humble soul and learn that there's something to love in almost every person, even those who are jerks. For there's two ways that people look at other people. Now we look, most of us look at a handful of people as individuals. For example, each of Sandra and mine's five children, they're very different. We know their strengths and weaknesses, the good and the bad in each of them. 
We love each one of them because we appreciate the individual in each of them. And we've served them since the day that they were born. But you know, most people look at most other people as objects, even as robots. What can this person do for me? They ask. And as they look around the room, most people see a possible employer, an employee, a servant, a man who owns a dump truck, a woman who cuts hair, a man with political connections, a waitress who can bring me a new glass of tea. You know, there's danger in treating people as groups instead of individuals. We've all mostly heard the story about the arrogant lawyers who one day met with the other side's lawyers at the other side's uh, office. Upon arrival, the arrogant head lawyer saw a petite, nicely dressed young woman and asked her to make copies of his strategy file for his teammates. And she did so quickly, as any good administrative assistant would. And then 20 minutes later, when the two sides met in the conference room, she was introduced as the home legal team's newest partner who would be leading the negotiations. She was five years out of Harvard. And of course, by that time, she had already figured out the entire strategy of the arrogant visitors by speed reading the notes as she made those copies. For there is real danger in treating people as objects instead of people, and a real danger in expecting to be served rather than choosing the humbleness of being a servant. You know, a couple hundred years ago, when towns were smaller, most people treated each other as individual people. But then as radio and TV and magazine advertising came of age, as mass production industry took over from farming and small shops, we were taught to look at people not as individuals, but as part of a group. He's a white male, 40 to 60 years old. She's a black woman, 20 to 40 years old. He's a blue collar worker. She's a soccer mom. He's a welder. That other guy there, he's a mechanic. The third guy is an electrician. They can't do their other person's jobs. And what began as an efficient way to reach millions of people through mass advertising and a way of efficiently structuring labor forces, it gradually became the way we look at people. And so today, we mostly look at the people around us as part of stereotype groups. He's homeless. He won't be interested in church. She's married and has a good job with kids. She'd be interested in church. He's gay. He's not interested in church. She's a waitress and works on Sundays, so she has no interest in church. He's a doctor with a foreign name. He won't be interested in church. She's black. She might be interested in church, but not our church. We make all these snap judgments about people because we've been trained by the world to look at the groups that people fit into instead of looking at the individual, understanding their wants and hopes and dreams and interests and needs and what they need served. We've forgotten that each person is an individual person who needs to be seen and respected for the person they are. You see, we have to see people and we have to serve them before we can love them. And we also look at people once again with a mind toward how they might serve us. But Jesus said, love one another. In Luke 1, Mary's wonderful song, when she realizes what's happening to her, when the angel visits, includes this line, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. 
Mary accepts that she's God's servant, but she also accepts that God has done great things for her. God has served her. And so she loves God, and God loves her, and their mutual servanthood has given them an appreciation and love for each other. God is ready to serve each of us. Are you ready to serve God, our King, by doing what God asks? You know, in the best marriages, the husband and the wife are both servants of each other. In the best families, the mother and the father serve the children, but teach them how to become servants also to each other. And then as old age arrives, the children become the servants of the parents. This is how all show love to each other. And that's why we tend to treat our families as individuals whom we love. And so if you're to love others, you'll need to learn to serve others first. For this is a major difference between good and evil, between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. In Satan's kingdom, respect is only granted to those who have the most power, which usually means they have the most servants and slaves. This is how it has been throughout time in most kingdoms of the world, especially in those countries we've seen as evil. All who live in the kingdom serve the king, and those servants who have the most servants and slaves are given the most respect. For the number of servants determines the power of a man. But in God's kingdom, those who serve the most people and serve best are the most respected. Jesus spoke specifically to his disciples when he said in Mark 9, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And you will recall that Jesus was the servant to all. This is not the only way, this is not only the way to, to success in the church, but it works in life better than Satan's way. In the old companies, the mark of success was the big corner office. Three secretaries waiting upon the great manager who was measured by the number of people in his department. But in the best companies today, the best supervisors and managers are those who recognize the individuals, the individuality of those in their departments and their individual strengths and weaknesses, and those great supervisors and managers are those who look upon their jobs as serving those people who are in that department. And in the church, we must also serve people so we can love them, both in the church and outside the church. Brooks, you know, serves the people at the assisted living facility. He not only preaches over there, he brings them books. He helps them stand and sit and he listens to them. He has seen their individual presence. And I dare say, he'll tell you he loves them. And so I ask you now to think about groups for a minute. What group of people do you treat as your servants? And what group of people do you have a hard time loving? Here you will find the danger to your eternal soul. For what is mere dislike of a group of people today will turn into hatred over the decades and the centuries of your eternal life. But if you'll pick one or two or a dozen people out of that group of people that you dislike today and you begin to listen and talk and think and pray about how you can serve them and then actually provide service, then you'll find yourself learning to love them. For God will bless your attempt to love one another and it will work with anybody you begin to serve. How do you become excellent servants? The best servant knows what their client will need even before the client knows. So the best servant thinks ahead and is, 
and prepares and is ready to do the service the client needs even before the client knows they'll need the service. And that act of preparing and doing service and attempting to be an excellent servant, that's the way we gradually begin to love each other because we have to understand the other. We all know that people outside the body of Christ will need to be introduced to Christ one day. It's the greatest service that anyone can do for another. But few outside the body understand that they will need this service in the future. Yet we who serve, we who are learning to love people outside the body of Christ, we know that they will need, they will all need this service one day. And so we need to prepare everything for our clients so that one day they can turn to us and, and ask, what do you think of God? What do you think of Christianity? What do you think happens when we die? And we will be ready to provide that ultimate service of introducing them to Jesus and his love. And we can apply that to any individual. Jesus said to pray for our enemies and love our enemies. So serve your enemy and you'll gradually learn to love them. Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Bowley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.